Just gonna run this dog to see if we can find any type of uh, human remains that are left. Listen to Where Secrets Go to Die, The Disappearance of Derek Hennigan. From the Detroit Free Press, a new podcast set in the woods of Michigan's Upper Peninsula. Available on Apple, Spotify, Freep.com, or wherever you get your podcasts. FedEx Forum, Growl Towels, Super Grizz, each one a Memphis Grizzlies tradition. This is the Grizzlies Podcast. What's happening, Grizzlies fans? We are back for another edition of the Grizzlies Podcast here at the Commercial Appeal. I'm Mark Giannato, CA Sports Columnist. I'm joined by DeMichael Cole, our Grizzlies beat writer at the Commercial Appeal. He is fresh off a trip to Cleveland where he was there uh, chronicling... uh, John Morant's appearance in his first All-Star game, as well as uh, Desmond Bain in the Rising Stars game and the three-point contest. Um, It was a big weekend for Memphis in Cleveland. Um, So we're going to talk to DeMichael about that in a second. Also get you ready for fourth quarter of the NBA season. There's 22 regular season games left uh, when the Grizzlies start up again Thursday night. Uh, They start a two-game road trip at Minnesota and then at Chicago. So uh, we're going to get you ready for that stretch run, go through the five storylines that, you know, more than likely are going to define what it looks like uh, down the stretch for the Grizzlies. Uh, DeMichael, let's start, though, with the All-Star game. Lots of different things to discuss there. Um, First up, I guess, what was it like, you know, from your interactions with John Morant, with the people around him? Um, what was it like for you being there and what do you think it was like for Ja being there? Well, well, I think, you know, for me, it was, it was just pretty special just seeing, you know, how players like Ja Morant, the younger players interacted with not only just the, the fellow all-stars that, you know, the LeBron James and the Chris Pauls of the world who have been there, you know, 10 plus times, but with the top, you know, NBA, uh, 75 players of all time. And, you know, was, I thought it was interesting. You know, I talked to John Morant about him drawing inspiration from guys like Allen Iverson and Dwayne Wade. And, and he told me, you know, after the All-Star game, he, uh, he saw Ray Allen, who, you know, played high school basketball with his father. And then um, he also interacted with Dwayne Wade, who basically told him, you know, there's plenty of room up here for you to be on the NBA uh, Top 100 team. So... I mean, just watching, watching that, how the younger players and even some of the, you know, players who made the NBA top 75 that are active players were just like big fans, you know, in those moments. But overall, it was it was a great weekend. Um, I thought, Ja, you know, he handled himself pretty well, just um, owning the moment. Um, He was he was, you know, a, a star there among stars, being that, you know, on Team Durant. You had, you know, the entire team, I believe you had nine players who were in one room. You know, they were speaking in the pods and three players had their own interview rooms. And those three players on his team were Joel Embiid, Devin Booker and John Morant. On the other team, on on Team LeBron, it was LeBron James, Stephen Curry and Giannis Antetokounmpo. 
So that goes to show you the company, you know, that he was in. I mean, he had his own interview room and, and I mean, he handled it well. Yeah, no, and I, mean, I think it's it's emblematic of, you know, he is a very intriguing story for people around the country right now because he's, you know, he appears to be the new newest NBA superstar, if you will. Yeah. Um, and then the Grizzlies are a really interesting story, you know, a lot because of him, because he's so interesting. I will say, I found how the actual All-Star game played out very, very interesting. So, yeah, uh, yeah. <laughs> We had we had let let's just go through things here. The yep. go through the events that took place, and because you know maybe I'm drawing too much into this, but I I found it really interesting and something that you know I'm just not going to ignore. I'm not saying it. I'm not I'm not a conspiracy theorist, but I'm just not going to ignore these chain of events that occurred. So you have Wednesday night, the Grizzlies play the Trailblazers, lose. But John Morant comes back from that ankle, whatever, tweak that made him miss the night before against New Orleans and scores, four, sets a new regular season high for him. Like 40, what did he score? 47 points? 40, what, how many? 44, 44 points. 44, yeah. p- scores 44 points. Looks pretty darn healthy, okay, ultimately. <laughs> After the game, during his press conference, when asked about you know the, what what he's expecting for this All Star weekend, what he's looking forward to, he mentions he wants to go try and win the MVP of the game. Okay, yeah. so there's that on Wednesday. Then we get Thursday. He appears at the Murray State game. Looks you know, kind of like a you know returning back to campus. Gets coronated there, rightfully so, um, at a Murray State game. Then Friday we get the now uh, iconic. Instagram live from his private jet where he's uh, taking swigs of tequila, living like literally living a 22 year old's dream. And I, you know, I, I had no problem with it whatsoever. Um, You know, (laughs) it was, it was, he, he earned it. He earned a celebration like that. And he said in retrospect, like that moment was when it really truly like hit him. Like I'm an, I'm an NBA all-star starter. Like I'm, you know, he was able to kind of sit back and really uh, enjoy his accomplishment, it felt like, um, and had a good time. You got that on Friday. And then we get to Sunday. And during the game, I mean, when he was in there in the first quarter with the starters, he does get that nice alley-oop, the 360. Yeah, he got He got his highlight, but he didn't really get the ball much. And then, really, I think the thing that I really wondered about is the fourth quarter of that All-Star game with the Elam ending. And Ja was just sitting on the bench and did not get to play. And, and, and you can say, and he, you know, he said afterwards to you, DeMichael, that, you know, he was just trying to save his energy for the second half. I, I think that's fine. It's good. It was a good way to spin it. You can't tell me, knowing the competitor that I know John Moran is, I guarantee you it bothered him a little bit that he wasn't playing in that fourth quarter. And the fact that he was so passive in general in the game, something happened between Wednesday and Sunday. Like, you don't go from saying, I'm going to win the MVP, to I was taking easy for the second half. Something happened in there, in between there. 
And you can, you know, you can be a conspiracy theorist and say, you know, hey, maybe you got to talk him to from the vets. Maybe he just realized it himself. Like, hey, this ain't my stage. You know, I'm here. But like, this is, you know, like, you know, I got a seed to the vets here. You know, I know some people suggested maybe he was on like a minutes restriction because injury. But like at no point since Wednesday did he appear injured. And if he's not going to be on a minutes restriction, I don't know if he's saying I'm gunning for the MVP on Wednesday night. Like, I just found it all the dynamics at play there, even though, as you mentioned, you're right. Like this was a coronation, a big moment for Jod that where he's really established himself as one of the new faces of the league and a guy people are really talking about. It did feel like there was some sort of, uh, you know, not quite sure what to make of, uh, you know, not sure where he stands in the exact pecking order yet in terms of, how the 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 best of the best in the NBA feel about? I don't know. It was just odd dynamics that I that I took notice of. Um, yeah. What, what are your thoughts on the situation? Well, I mean, it was it was interesting to see because when he you played look the fifteenth like, most minutes in the right, game, right? But even and maybe we're drawing get, too much into minutes in an All Star game, but I don't know. Yeah. Because even before you get to that point, I'm watching the beginning of the game from my seat, and Ja wasn't really trying. There wasn't a point. You know, I think I would lean more towards your point if he comes out and scores 10 points in the first quarter, and he's, you know, running hard on fast breaks, you know, looking for those alley-oop dunks, but he was coasting the whole time he was out there. I mean, I was watching plays where, Trey Young would bring the basketball up the court and John Morant would just be, you know, lightly jogging or walking back on defense, you know, after the play, things like that. Because you were wondering, you know, who's going to get most of the ball handling? It was Trey Young. John played off of the ball. Uh, even on defense, you know, there weren't many times he tried. And in the All-Star game, when you want to score, you can easily score. All you have to do is run the floor, uh, leak out, and you'll get some, you know, some easy dunks. John did not leak out a lot. He wasn't, you know, the first one back on the offensive end a lot of times. Each time that he ran the wing like he wanted a dunk, they threw him an alley-oop, and he got those two dunks. Those were pretty much the only two times that I remember him, you know, running up the court like wanting the ball. Outside of that, he was pretty much just, you know, there. So, um, I mean, I, I, I don't know. I, I mean, the fourth quarter pretty much played out almost exactly – how I would have expected it based on, you know, his energy level, you know, in the first, it, he was like cruising. It, there wasn't a point. I mean, we didn't see yeah, but like, everyone's cruising. No, I mean, but there's cruising, but there's like LeBron James was getting out on a break when he wanted a dunk or, or, you know, it's easy to score. Everyone can call for the ball, but John Morant wasn't doing that. You know, he wasn't trying to score. Um, and I just game. wonder, after saying he wanted the MVP, yeah, I just wonder if there was some, some sort of understanding that, like, hey man, this ain't your this ain't your this ain't your game, so to speak. You know, like there's a lot of politics involved when you get all oh, those sure. great players behind, you know, together. And I just think I do think at the end of those games, I'm not saying they're playing as hard as like they would in even a regular season NBA game. But there is a certain ego thing there. Like, you want to be yeah. on the court at the end of that game, you know? Like, you could tell right. it mattered to LeBron that he hit that game-winning shot. And, I, you know. He wanted I that ball, I, yeah. 
it'll be interesting to see if it's some motivation for Ja. Like I took it as one unfortunate because he got all these votes. He probably should have been out there in the fourth quarter. Um, but two, I did wonder if it could be of use for the Grizzlies in that it's, you know, we know how much he takes every little slight and uses it as motivation. Um, I wonder if this this is something he can use. I don't know. Maybe yeah. maybe I could also be drawing way too much into this. It's just an all-star game. And maybe, <laughs> you know, he just didn't feel, you know, it just didn't work out this time. And he's probably got 10 to 12 to 15 more all-star games ahead of him. You know, like, um, so, but I, I didn't want to bypass it. I know I took notice of some of these mm-hmm. dynamics that played out. And I did wonder, um, you yeah. know, it's probably somewhere in between. Like, it's probably not full-on conspiracy theory like they froze him out like they did Michael Jordan in his first All-Star game. <laughs> but I also don't think it was nothing. You know, I don't think it was like just Jod wasn't trying. You know, I think yeah. it's somewhere in between. Yeah, and I, I can understand that. I mean, I did a story right, you know, you know while I was there on how history isn't on John Moran's side and, and just, you know, doing some work on that story. I saw that no player had won MVP in his first all-star appearance since yeah. I believe it was Tom Chambers in 1986, 87. So I'm telling you, I think it's cause it's very political, you know, it's like, yeah. okay, like, you know, okay. It's in Cleveland or like, you gotta be a certain, you know, long, there's gotta be a certain, uh, longevity you know you you got to be there if you have been there a few times and you or deserve you know deserve it in some way um to be in the running for it almost yeah no i mean that makes sense i mean we we see how much politics you know comes up in these in these discussions so i I wouldn't you know be too surprised by that point but it's like my thing was he wasn't even trying that hard in the first quarter you know when Everyone was trying to, I mean, when I say trying, I'm not saying, you know, hustling hard, getting back, you know, like trying to get steals and stuff like that. But when players wanted to score, it was pretty obvious. You know, when when LeBron James wanted the ball, he'd, you know, go towards the ball. So they'd pass it to him or he'd leak out in transition so he can get an easy dunk or Giannis or et cetera. Ja just wasn't doing much of that. He was probably, you know, he was cruising on defense. Um, he had a chance, I think, in the first quarter um, when we were watching. We thought, oh, this is his chance to leak out. But he didn't, like, run back. He was ahead of the field, but he didn't run back. He just, you know, lightly jogged and everyone caught up to where he was. So, I mean, I feel like if he wanted to, he could have scored more points, especially in that first quarter. But, you know, he just didn't didn't do it. Well, whatever regardless, we, pro- we probably spent too much time on this. It was a... All in all, a successful uh, All-Star Game appearance. You had Allen Iverson singing his praises on the broadcast. Reggie Miller singing his praises on the broadcast. You had, you know, you asked Giannis if if uh, Ja could be, you know, Ja could lead Memphis to an NBA title. You had Giannis basically saying, "Why not?" You know, basically yeah. doing uh, doing doing Ja's uh, ad for Nike. Um, <laughs> <laughs> why not? Uh, why not him? Uh, and the Grizzlies. Um, so it was a re- it was an affirming weekend for John Morant that he is now, you know, and and even just the fact that they grouped him at during that NBA 75 celebration, you know, it was mm-hmm. him, Luca, Devin Booker, Carl Anthony Towns, 
reading off a teleprompter and, and nothing he said was significant, but it was that he was the yeah. one of the people picked to say yeah. it. Yeah, significant. Exactly. Um, like the NBA recognizes him as this. This could be a. This could be you know the next. Uh, he already is kind of a big thing in the NBA, but like the next superstar, you know, really super duper star in the NBA. He's part of this next class coming up. Um, so an affirming weekend for John Moran. Desmond Bain, you know, I, I f- feel like he got he got unlucky having to go first in the three-point contest on Saturday. Um, mm-hmm. But, um, you know, and then kind of got thrown off. I, you know, I, I thought going for the, the Mountain Dew ball in the middle of his second, you know, the second Mountain Dew ball in the middle of his rack. I don't know. He just... He just wasn't his weekend. Hopefully, he'll be back in the three-point contest again <laughs> in the future. Yeah, I'm, I'm sure he'll be back. And, I mean, even he said it, you know, like the, the lights, when the lights came on and, you know, the music's playing, and he's up first. I just don't think any of those. I think going first really yeah. kind of screwed him, like yeah. especially being a rookie in the event. Like if he had gone third or fourth or even second, I think he would have done better. Yeah, yeah, for sure, for sure. And, um, I mean – I, he, he'll be back. I think he'll be back for sure, and and you know we'll we'll see how he does then. Did you like the new Rising Stars format? I did actually. You know, I think having three different teams. Yeah, yeah, I I, I liked it. I mean, it was it was it was fun. You know, because the the teams weren't weren't as big, so everyone was able to play. You know, like you look at the All Star game, and like you know, a lot of players you know get get flushed out usually, but. But in and it this felt format, less all-star gamey. Like it was a little more yeah. real basketball. Yeah, because you had because you didn't have a lot of time to play around. You were going to 50 points. So it wasn't much time to, oh, let's let them score 20 off of, you know, wide open dunks and alley-oops. Like once the team reached a certain number, you had to lock in, especially in that final, you're going to 25. So there's definitely, you know, not much time to play around and, and, and give the opponent points. So, yeah, I mean, I like that. You know, it was it was fun to watch. It was, you know, the teams were pretty much split. Like uh, the rosters were pretty split evenly for the most part. And, and I mean, it was a good showcase. All right. Last thing about the All-Star game, then we'll go to the storylines. You have a story up at commercialpeel.com today about you know, Memphis one day, potentially, hopefully hosting an All-Star game, you know, Cleveland, Indianapolis are hosting it in in the next couple years. Um, and so and Memphis, I know, has tried to get the All-Star game previously. But, that you know, I'm curious what you found out when you did the story. It feels like the same obstacle that existed when FedEx Forum you know, op- first opened still exists today. Mm-hmm. Not enough downtown Memphis hotel rooms. Yeah, yeah, exactly. That's that's the main thing. But um I mean, it's it's interesting just to just to hear like um, I was talking to some people about Cleveland, you know, because just being in Cleveland, looking at the size, um, getting an idea for it. It just it doesn't feel that much, you know, bigger, different than Memphis in that way, except, you know, they they did have more luxury hotels, you know, that were walking big too. It's not just lack of. Yeah, it's not just lack of hotel rooms, it's lack of luxury hotel rooms. Exactly, exactly. So they they had more of that. But outside of that, I mean, it was very comparable to what Memphis has to offer. And, and I mean, if we're being honest, from a celebrity perspective, like Memphis would blow Cleveland out of the water. 
I mean, so I think, you know, entertainment wise, there's much more to offer there. And, and, and I did talk some about that. But in terms of just the, you know, the logistics of everything and, and, and all of that, yeah, hotels are, are the biggest, you know, hurdle. But like I said, when Cleveland hosted in, in 97, I heard things about them not having the 5,000, you know, hotel room required um, to, to, to do that. But, um, but Memphis, has, as you know, Mark, you know, tried, you know, other obstacles around, you know, the 5,000 hotel rooms, like, you know, the shuttles. Um, possibly from Tunica. I mean, in the city overall, there's not a lack of for hotel space. I mean, you 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 know, down, North Memphis, just downtown maybe. Exactly, it's the downtown area, and how Memphis can swing that will probably determine you know the future if if they have a chance at hosting one. Because what we saw in Cleveland, a lot of people who uh, were traveling and commuting to the game did not stay downtown. You know. Mm-hmm. If Cleveland did have 5,000 hotels, they they didn't have, you know, much more than that. But they had, you know, like Independence, Ohio and and, you know, Akron and all the surrounding areas where people didn't mind taking uh, 20, 20, 30 minute trips uh, to get to All Star Weekend. And if if that's the case, you know, North Mississippi, like South Haven, Olive Branch, uh, Germantown, uh, East Memphis all have, you know, nice enough hotels to to combat that. Yeah. No, and the other part of it is usually an all-star game is awarded in conjunction with a new building or a, you know, significant renovation. And that's yep. the other part of this, too, is like I think ultimately if an all-star game is going to come here, it's also going to be in conjunction with either a the a significant renovation of FedEx Forum or a new arena. I don't know. You know, that's something we can talk about on another podcast in the offseason because I do think – the future of FedEx Forum, while not imminent, it looms over the franchise over, you know, and like over the next decade or so. Um, and I think an all-star game is part of that discussion as well, because I don't think they're going to award you an all-star game unless there's a renovation or a new building opening, because that's just how they traditionally do it. That, that's what that yeah. usually a city opens a new arena or renovates it. And one of the perks of doing that is, Okay, within the first five years of the building opening, the NBA is going to award you an all-star game that's going to bring in all this money for your city. Mm-hmm. Yeah, well, great point. And I think, like, um, the reason, you know, more the reason that I, that, that I wanted to do the story was, you know, just the next couple years, and even this year, when you look at Cleveland, uh, Salt Lake City, and Indianapolis, like Indianapolis, of course, that's a given with the hotels. You know, they posted Final Fours and, yeah. you know, Super Bowl. Like, they host the Combine every year. Like, you know, Indianapolis mm-hmm. is built for it. But um, Salt, Lake, Salt Lake City, you know, there was questions about, about hotel rooms there. As well as, you know, the arena, they had a renovation recently, but it was it was 2017. So, um, yeah, I was there last year for the playoffs. It's like fine. It's not like a great, yeah. like it's, it's fine. It looks like the, the actual like bowl of the arena doesn't really, I don't think really looks much different than it did back in the Delta center days, so to speak. Yeah. yeah. It's called something else now. I mean, the concourses are new, but I was there last year. It's not like some, you don't go in there and go, wow. You know, it's not like some okay. great building. Right. Exactly. So, so I mean, they're they're gonna host theirs, and 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 you know, Cleveland did get renovated, and and Rocket Mortgage looks real nice. So, um, 
that's a good point as well. And I think that that's definitely a hurdle that that Memphis would probably have to get over. Yeah. Yeah. So, well, it was a fun all-star weekend. You did a great job covering it. Um, and now I believe the grit we're recording this on Wednesday, February 23rd. Grizzlies are in Minnesota practicing right now or this afternoon they will. Uh, and they'll be back at it tomorrow. Again, like I said, at Minnesota, at Chicago to start off, kickstart this last, again, last quarter of the season, 22 games left. So I wanted to quickly, to Michael, go through what I think are my top five storylines for this this stretch run, if you will, um, and get your reaction. So I think right. top biggest storyline of these last 22 games is pretty clear to me. Where will the Grizzlies finish? And who's going to be their first round opponent in the playoffs? That to me, storyline number one. How how do they finish in this? They're they're starting off this last stretch a game and a half behind Golden State. In third, they're in third, a game and a half behind second place Golden State, four games ahead of fourth place Utah. Um, I think the biggest question at this point, as crazy, you know, as crazy as this might have seemed like a month and a half ago, is are they going to finish second? Can they pass Golden State? You know, it's 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 very possible. I mean, the Grizzlies have one of the weakest schedules remaining, and Golden State isn't you know some buzzsaw schedule. That that schedule is is mid middle of the pack, and they'll get Draymond Green back at some point. So, um, it's 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 possible. I don't I don't think you know it's it's unlikely. I mean, they're they're one and a half back, but if you look at it even closer, it's it's just a half game because the Grizzlies play you know Golden State. Uh, one more time. So if you take care of your business as you should um, and win that game, they'll probably have the tiebreaker. And if they have the tiebreaker, you know, you just have to tie uh, with Golden State. So it's it's tight. And I mean, March is is really weak for the Grizzlies. They they have a really good chance um, yeah. to make that because when April gets here, uh, it's 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 straight wars. The, la- for the last 10 games are tough games. It's yeah. I think it's, I think you're right. I think it's going to get determined if they can go like over the next 10 or 12 games, only lose once or twice, I think they, they will pass Golden State. That you know, sure. you know what I mean? That's what it feels like more, you know, more than likely if they can because you're right. It's it's here coming out of the break. This Minnesota Chicago road trip should be difficult. And then I think there's a Boston road trip in there, but then you're you're yep. getting Houston a couple times, OKC, <laughs> Detroit, Orlando. Yeah. You're, I mean it's weak. It gets weak at that point. You got six games against teams that aren't even in the play-in, so yeah, um, easy pickings. <laughs> and then the other question is, as part of this, is you know if they finish second or third. I I, I think it's going to take a lot given the schedule. I, they'd have to really collapse for Utah to catch them. So my gut tells me they're finishing either second or third. For um, sure. And the question is, who will they play? Who would they want to play? Is there some strategy that happens towards the end of the year um, because you want to set up a better first-round matchup? Like, as of today, they're in third and would play the Denver Nuggets in the first round. Um, It seems like, you know, the teams in play, the teams most likely for them to play are Dallas, Denver, um, and then, you know, Whoever fin- whoever could potentially finish seventh, like Minnesota or one of the LA teams or Portland. Um, so that's the other part of this. Who would you who would they prefer to play? And I think a lot of that gets determined also over the next you know few weeks, not just in terms of record, but like 
does Denver get Jamal? You know, when does when do Jamal Murray and Michael Porter, or if they come back, you know, what's the deal there? L.A. What what happens with Anthony Davis here? You know, how long is he really out? Can they survive without him? Can they stay in the play-in? Um, I think there's there's some thing. You know, does Paul George decide to come back for the Clippers? Yeah. You know, I there's a lot of question marks that would that will. Uh, we need to see, you know, we need to see play out with other teams as well. Yeah, 100%. And like you you mentioned Denver as, you know, the team that projected to play now. And I think uh, one of the beauties of All-Star Weekend is, you know, you're surrounded by a lot of these beat writers and you get to, you know, talk to them about those teams. And and the sense I got, you know, from the, from the people out in Denver, which surprised me, was that Michael Porter Jr. is further ahead than Jamal Murray. And, um, you know, the recovery stage. So um, I, I almost kind of wasn't even thinking about MPJ as much as Jamal Murray. But uh, it sounds like they could possibly get both back and even yeah. um, Mike Porter Jr. at some point in March. So um, it'd be tough for Trump. That. It'd be tough exactly. for Trump. That, that is that is a nightmare, you know, scenario in terms of because you're basically playing what has been a two seed you know, when healthy in the past, a team so, that if they were healthy might even be ahead of you in the in the standings right now. Yeah, if they're very healthy much. the whole year. Yeah, they'd be up very there with you. Um, so yeah, that would be that would be a difficult situation. Um, I yeah, although they'd be, they'd be guys working them back in. And to that point, storyline number two for me for the Grizzlies is Dylan Brooks's return and how it goes. Yeah. You know, um, how smoothly can they? fit him back in does it go really well is there some you know some awkwardness like there was it felt like last year when Jaron Jackson Jr. came back my my gut tends to tell me that again once again it'll fall somewhere in between it's not going to mm-hmm. be seamless but it's also not going to be as awkward as Jaron Jackson Jr.'s return was last year yeah. um what do you think it sounds like you know Zach Kleiman when he spoke to the media said beginning of March is when they're mm-hmm. expecting him back. You know, my thought is he probably ramps up this week and returns next week. That would be my assumption given the comments yeah. we've heard. Um, how do you think, how do you think this is going to go? What do you, in, you know, when he came back the last time from his injury at the beginning of the year, came off the bench for like a game, maybe two games, but then was back in the starting lineup and, and seemed to find his bearings pretty quickly. How do you think Taylor Jenkins will, uh, will ultimately utilize Dylan Brooks when he comes back. How do you think this is going to go? Yeah, I, I mean, I think I think he puts him in the starting lineup, but J- Zaire Williams is really, like, I, I, I like him as a player. I think the more they play him, the more, you know, he, he shows. And, I mean, he's having a typical rookie season where, you know, he has a good game, then he has a game where you remember he's a rookie, but then he has a game where, like, you realize this guy can be around for a long time. So you, I think you insert him pretty much right away. Uh, Taylor Jenkins pretty much, you know, said that he doesn't look at Dylan Brooks as like a trade, you know, deadline pickup simply because he's been with the team so long. And even though he hasn't been playing over the past month and a half, two months, uh, he's been around the team uh, nonstop. You know, I mean, I believe he he came with them when they went on that uh, middle of January uh, road trip to to Milwaukee and Denver. And he's been with them ever since. So he's been around. And, um, yeah, I think he'll have a big role. I think it, it, it won't take long to get him accumulated. And we talked about, you know, 
the schedule in March, how it isn't as strong. So that's the perfect time to bring him back because it's not like you're bringing him back, you know, to face the Warriors and the Bucks and, you know, those type teams. You're bringing him back to play, play teams that will probably, you know, be playing rookies anyway simply because they're trying to tank and, and um, get a lower draft pick. Yeah. No, and I think, you know, the big question is going to be shot distribution. You know, like now it's yep. just a, it's a different team. You know, you want you want to make sure Desmond Bain and Jaron Jackson Jr. Um, and Ja even are all getting, you know, the the proper amount of usage. And, you know, because Dylan Brooks, it feels like there's always a fine line, you know, like there can be too much Dylan Brooks sometimes. Um, but you take that because of how intense he, you know, the good, you know, when he, when he's able to con- rein in his offensive, you know, his shot his shot decisions, if you will, um, because his defense. Um, I suspect he's. I suspect not only is he going to start, what they'll do is to try and get him his shot. I think he's going to assume kind of the role um, that Bain I, has. Yeah, I think you're going to see him be used with the backup some so he can be yeah. in lineups where it's easier for him to get shots off you know yeah. um and and i think like i think he could be the way i would envision it and this is all just spitballing we'll see how taylor jenkins does it is like he's a starter who comes out six minutes into the first and third quarter and that yeah. way because zaire williams is so good playing with john ja morant that way you can get like zaire some decent minutes with Ja Morant, since Ja plays basically the whole first and third quarters, you know mm-hmm. what I mean. And no, then you great. bring, and then you bring Dylan back in at the start of the fourth or start of the second, um, and go from there. Um, that's sort of how I would, you know, I don't know, envision or bring him in at the end of the first or end of the third. Bring him back with the reserves when Ja's not in the game and he can get more shots. Um, yeah, that's. That's sort of how I envision it. But that's, you know, right now they do that a decent amount with Jaron Jackson Jr. and Desmond Bain. Like those guys uh, sometimes play with the, you know, play with the reserves a lot. But, um, you know, there's going to, it'll take a few games, but I think they'll sort it. I think it's going to go smoothly ultimately. And they're going to be a, they're going to be a much better team uh, in the playoffs than even they are right now because of Dylan Brooks. All right. Third storyline is kind of how does the rotation settle behind all that? You know, what does the rotation look like in the play? You know, once we get to the end of the season and we're going into the playoffs, um, you know, ultimately it seems like it comes down, you know, it feels like whatever Tyus's role is, it's going to, he's going to be play some like in the playoffs, his minutes are going to go down because Jaws minutes are going to go up. Uh, And it feels like Brandon Clark is their number one big off the bench. And then the question, and then the question is, how many and how much of do you play Zaire Williams, DeAnthony Melton, Kyle Anderson, and John Conchar? Um, you know, that's that's the big question. And I do wonder, and I'm curious what you think, I think it's the type of situation where it's going to change a couple times over the course of a series, over the course of the playoffs. Like, I don't think it's just going to be set in stone like Zaire and Kyle are going to play or Zaire and DeAnthony are going to play or Zaire, you know, like – it, it it'll change game to game depending on matchups, depending on momentum of a series. Like all those guys will play. I don't know if all those guys will have consistent roles. That's how I kind of view it. No, yeah, for yeah, for sure, Mark. I mean, that's that's exactly 
um, how I see it as well. I think, you know, with Taylor Jenkins, just watching him over this past couple months, um, I feel like he's one of those coaches. I, I call them like they're, they're field coaches. They coach more on field than going into a game with the, you know, a game plan that they that they're stubborn to stick into, which, you know, works for a lot of great coaches as well. I mean, don't get me wrong. Some coaches say this is my rotation and this is what we're sticking to. And and um, a lot of coaches, you know, we've seen Taylor Jenkins, like especially when guys were out, he goes into a game and we've seen him just ride John Morant for an entire second half without taking him out at all because he's getting a feel for how he's playing. We've seen him ride, you know, Tyus Jones for longer stretches and, and leave John Morant, you know, on the bench for, for longer stretches of time and everything in between. So uh, he's very much, you know, big on in-game adjustments. We've seen him come out and start a different second-half lineup um, before. I think he's one of those coaches that, you know, like you said, um, there's going to be a game where we probably see a De'Anthony Melton-type breakout game, and then there might be another game where De'Anthony Melton plays 12 minutes. So, um, and I think you need that because in the playoffs, it's it's more of a chess match. It's not just the better team winning four games. It's the better team making the adjustment because what usually happens is, you know, the first couple games, you know, a team, you know, comes out with a strategy and hit a team in the mouth, and they notice it and they say, we have to adjust to this. And when that team adjusts, the the series usually swings. And then it's, OK, who's going to make the next big adjustment? Taylor Jenkins, I think, is that type of coach. Well, and I I do think, though, his rotation is, has been the one thing over his three years as coach. Yeah. And this is like part, you know, this is the biggest challenge for an NBA coach. A lot of times mm-hmm. it's like. I think he's made some questionable calls at times with who he plays, how he plays them. And right. I think this year, because of how good the team is is and how good of a job he's done, um, I think those decisions are going to be under a microscope more than they've ever been. And so I will be interested. To, like I think he's a guy, Taylor himself, during this run as we get here to the end of the season – I think I think this is a big spotlight moment for him as a head coach in terms of, you know, we're we're trying to see signs of whether this team, these players, are good enough to be like ch- true championship contenders when when push comes to shove in the playoffs this year. I think mm-hmm. we're we're also going to be examining is Taylor Jenkins a championship level coach? Like I think this is going to be the first postseason that will truly give us some hints into that. Mark, that's a great point because. At the end of the day, what I think is going to happen, we talk, we're talk. we talking about literally 11 guys right now that we're discussing. I don't know if you can – he's going to have to shorten the rotation, in my opinion. It's and he did have, la- last year in the Utah series. Yep. That's exactly what he did. He played mm-hmm. nine guys in the in the Utah Jazz series. And exactly. it was like one of them was, 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 was Tyus Jones, and most of his minutes were coming in the first half because Ja was basically right. playing the entire second half in the Ja in the exactly. Jazz series. So, and and there's so much, you know, they're deep this year. It's going to be more about determining who are those guys that you're going to strength the rotation with. Because depth sometimes it's weird how how basketball works. Uh, depth can work a, work against you in some ways. I think back to like um, the Bucks before they won the championship. Mike Budenholzer was getting criticized season after season for, you know, Giannis Antetokounmpo playing 34, 35 minutes in playoff games. And, and they're saying, why isn't he playing 39, 40, you know, like and, other star and, players? 
and you, and, and that's the worry with Jenkins. He, he was on exactly. that staff. <laughs> he was on that. Exactly. But he, he didn't that do that last year, to his credit. Like I don't, right. I, I don't think he. I think he either learned from Bud's mistakes or he's different in that regard. Like I did yep. think in the playoffs, he did the right thing. He like you know he played his guys. Yeah, for sure. And 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 you and this year it's going to be tougher. I mean because. Brandon Clark, for example, I think Brandon Clark, I mean, depending on the matchup and who they play against, but he's been so efficient and so effective. And But you love what Steven Adams brings as well. Uh, somewhere in those three, those three big guys, you, Brandon Clark should be getting, you know, I think cl- up close to 28, 29. He's definitely going to play. To me, it's it's like the guys, the guy who could ultimately get squeezed, I think. Like Conchar might not play, but I think Conchar's type yeah. of player need to play. Kyle Anderson's the one whose minutes I think are gonna get is gonna get squeezed ultimately because they're yeah. gonna want to play Zaire. Um, they've got a lot invested in him, and ultimately I think like Kyle. It's not that Kyle won't play, but I could see yeah. his minutes get squeezed, uh, especially because you know his shooting woes this year have returned, and you know he's he's just not he's not a great weapon offensively. Gives you a lot defensively and as a ball handler, but you know yeah, you need shot makers in the playoffs. Yeah, exactly. He's one of those stock guys, you know, with the blocks and the steals. He's he's very effective in the passing lanes. But, that, and, and but just, then again, DeAnthony Melton was terrible in the playoffs last year. So, um, <laughs> you know, there's going to be some hard choices. All right, fourth storyline I have is award watch. Um, what awards? What postseason awards? What do they? What do the Grizzlies end up with? If I had to guess today, Jaw's going to be first or second team All NBA. My uh-huh. my gut would say as of today it'd be second team, but he could play his he could play his way into he's not he's not he's close to first team. I mean right now maybe I'd put Steph a little bit ahead of him, but you know I think there's an argument to be made. Jaws had just as good or better year than than Steph Curry, but it's that's who he's competing with. But he's gonna be first or second team All NBA. I don't think Jaws not gonna win MVP. He'll get you know he'll be in the top six or seven. I think maybe top five. Mm-hmm. I actually think I know the players and Ja have said Desmond Bain should be most improved player. I think Ja Morant's going to win most improved player in the NBA. Yeah, yeah. And then it's I suspect funny how that works. <laughs> what? It's funny how that works because you know we we've seen you know um, you know the Grizzlies have been promoting you know like Ja, uh, Jaren. Those guys have been promoting Desmond Bain as yeah. most improved. But you look at the sports books. And, you know, you look around the league, Ja Morant is actually the one who is getting in. And, you know, Ja was asked about this. And he was like, you know, that's cool. But, I'd, you know, rather he, he shifted off to his teammate. I'd rather it go to Desmond Bain. But at the end of the day, his own teammate, Bain's own teammate, is probably going to be the guy who stops him from winning that award. <laughs> yeah. And then I suspect uh, I suspect Taylor Jenkins. Is, I, I think Taylor Jenkins has a really good chance at winning Coach of the Year. Um, He's from- yeah, he's one of like it's him. Feels like it's him. JB Bickerstaff, ironically, his predecessor here with, <laughs> with now with Cleveland, <laughs> and then maybe like Billy Donovan with Chicago. I feel like yeah, you know, that, those are probably your and Monty uh, Williams. I think those are your yeah, Monty. Yeah, but yeah, but ultimately, usually Coach of the Year goes to like the team that overachieved the most. Like it's not yeah. like. Unless it's like a like Phoenix isn't having an overwhelming like they're a great team they're the best team in the NBA but they're not having like a historically good year you know sure. and usually yeah sure. uh, to me it's good I think it's Bickerstaff 
or Taylor ultimately and maybe yeah, Billy Donovan. Same here. I think those those two, I mean, the, the former Grizz guy and the current Grizz guy are your yeah. are your top two. But Mark and then, and, then and and then Jaron Jackson Jr., I think yeah. is like an all defense can all defense. I don't think he's getting defensive player of the year, but like second team all defense, something like that. I could see that happening for sure. Yeah, that's that's the question. I mean, I'm, I think a Grizzlies fans and, and the players alike are really going to pay attention to that because um, you just look at some of the names that have been thrown out there and, and with first team all defense, second team all defense. And when you get to those forwards, it's get, it gets real tricky. But Draymond just went down. I thought, you know, he was a given for first team all defense for most yeah, of the season. Sure. But how long, how long will he be down? Anthony Davis just went down. Anthony Davis was probably – you know, going to work himself back into that category if he would have played, you know, the last 30-plus games of the season before being hurt. And um, you have some other candidates out there that I think um, are actually getting more love than Jaron Jackson, and their names aren't as big. Like, I've seen a lot of people talk about, like, a guy like Jared Vanderbilt, which is, you know, I mean, would be surprising to, I think, a lot of Grizzlies fans that even on a lot of the sports books as recently as two weeks ago, you know, he was getting more love than than Jaron Jackson okay. in, in that in that category. So it's like, you know, historically speaking, it's a defensive those first team, second team all defenses have been more name than game, you know, awards. Like, yeah. you know, you obviously know at the beginning of the season, Giannis, Draymond, and you know, Anthony Davis, their names are gonna be on there somewhere if they just, you know, play sixty games or so. I do think because Jaron's so high up in blocks, though, that'll help him. You know, that's a that's oh. a, a stat people will just go to automatically, yep. and the fact that he's up there will help. And then last storyline to Michael is that is you you talked about Anthony Davis. It's the L.A. Lakers, and I say this yeah. not not really because they could be a potential opponent, I guess, if they came out of the play-in for the Grizzlies, but because the Grizzlies own one of their three first round picks for next season is the Lakers first round pick as of right now via the trade for Jonas Valanciunas New Orleans Mm -hmm. got it when they traded away Anthony Davis Um, but that first round pick is top 10 protected and becomes a becomes two second round picks if the Lakers end up having a top 10 draft pick this year and as of right now they have like the 11th worst record. Um, and if they don't make the playoffs, they'll go on the lottery. And there is a chance that first round pick becomes two second round picks. Yeah. Ultimately not a gigantic deal, but you know, you'd rather have a first round pick than two second round picks, I think. Um, mm-hmm. So you should also, I think one of the, the fifth storyline of these last 22 games is, how, you know, do the Lakers play their way out of the lottery? Do they end up at least, you know, you know, can you get like the eleventh to fifteenth pick out of them rather than losing, uh, losing the first round pick? Because ultimately, that's what we could be looking at—like a pick in the eleven to fifteen range. Um, if the Lakers kind of stay where they are and things go as planned. Yeah, exactly. And and honestly, if if you're a fan, like this is the ideal scenario. Like you get to root against the Lakers. Or, no, exactly. We're sort of rooting for. It's like weird. You're rooting for them, but not too much. You know, like you know, not it's, too much. The win-win. If if you're like, if you hate the Lakers, because it's like, oh, if they win a game, 
it's like, ah, oh, it helps our draft pick. And then if they lose, it's like, you know, ha-ha, Lakers lost again. I mean, like, don't let them lose too much. You don't want them to collapse here yeah. without Anthony Davis. You don't want them exactly. collapsing. So, but uh, I think they're in a good spot. I mean, um, usually in that, in that lottery range, you know, I I don't think, you know, where you talk about like the Spurs, the Blazers, um, I don't think those teams are the Pelicans. Maybe even well, they're going to be trying to win at least. Like LeBron, exactly. the, they're going to try to win. So yeah, he's he's not tanking. So um, I think you know it's it's a good position to be in for the Grizzlies because I I, I can't see the Lakers falling that far off. And at the yeah. end of the day, the best case scenario is that pick being in those early teens. And I mean that's what it's shaping up to be at. So right now. Yeah, we'll see. So lots of things to pay attention to here, the last 22. We'll have tons of coverage of it over at CommercialPill.com. DeMichael's writing every day. I'm going to chime in. It's it's going to heat up here. We're only uh, less than it's two months away end. from the end of the regular season. 22 games to go. Grizzlies 41-19. and 19. Uh, It's been a lot of fun so far, and really it feels like the fun is just beginning this season. So uh, make sure you're listening to the podcast. We'll keep updating them every week. Um, and like I said, tons of coverage at commercialpeel.com. Till next week, I was Mark. That was DeMichael. Thanks so much. Uh, enjoy the rest of your all-star break. And uh, hopefully we'll see you. Hopefully the Grizzlies are still rolling next time we talk to you. The Grizzlies podcast is a production of the Commercial Appeal. Just going to run this dog to see if we can find any type of uh, human remains that are left. Listen to Where Secrets Go to Die, The Disappearance of Derek Hennigan. From the Detroit Free Press, a new podcast set in the woods of Michigan's Upper Peninsula. Available on Apple, Spotify, Freep.com, or wherever you get your podcasts.